program is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The views expressed are those of the panelists and not necessarily those of Sengents, Glamour Connection, Van Garrett Media, their respective management, contractors, or employees. This podcast produced by Van Garrett Media. Welcome to the Share Your Hotness podcast. Share your hotness. Now, here's your host, Lisa Green. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Share Your Hotness with your host, Lita Green, and today, my guest, Jared Petit. Now, did I say that right, Petit? Petit? No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm like, I said in an awkward way. It's like a doctor that I cleaned for back in the day where he was an OBGYN, and his last name was Kegel, and I always thought that was funny. Like, Why is that funny? And I'm like, it's it's funny. <laughs> okay, so Jared and I know each other from, we were in a weekly networking group together, and you came so highly recommended, and the, this was B&I, and you have to, like, compete, and so all these different plumbers, but... Um, Jennifer Yo, who is a big influencer, she's like, no, it's going to be Jared. And so there was like all this competition, but we all knew it was going to be Jared was going to take the plumber spot. So big concern. I'm not paying you right now, Jared, right? Because you've done work at my house. I'm just making sure. I'm just teasing. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll see. Okay. We'll see, I'll get a bill. we'll see how it goes. I'll get a bill, right? So I'll just, <laughs> I'll just not talk about pipes or anything. So I'd be like, no, that was not a plumber conversation. But I did have a, a, a recent uh, uh, flooding in my house and Jared came and saved the day and, and made it all happen. So thank you, Jared, for that. Okay. My, my pleasure. So for those of you who cannot see Jared, he's one of my favorite kinds of people. He's got like this uh, Led Zeppelin beard. You know, you've got the tats. <laughs> You're like this big, tough guy. But really, as I know about tough guys, because I grew up in the, you know, the blue collar world, my dad was a trucker, that I see guys like you and I want to go up and hug them because I know that there's just a teddy bear in there, you know, and you just validated that even more because of my interactions with you. So, I, I mean, I got to admit, yeah, it's true. This is all just to make me look tough to them. So, you know. <laughs> I don't want to say weak, weak, but no. I got to keep my guard up, right? <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's expression. It's good, right? It's fun. But um, the problem is you've got all the, the smile lines that say you've chosen to smile. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really wanted you on because you are not shy about sharing your story of overcoming. And it's a hard story and one that needs to be shared and needs to be heard. And so I really appreciate you coming on and, and uh, being um, vulnerable and a teddy bear with us. Well, thank you. I'm excited. I, I, I always say I didn't go through what I went through for no reason. Amen. Right? That's, yeah. that's the, the secret of finding a happy life is realizing it, it can all have a purpose. So, okay, dive in. I'm handing the floor to you. Tell us where you want to start with your story. Cause I don't want to do giveaways. I don't want to be like, in, you know, <laughs> well, when I was one, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> sure. We can start there. <laughs> you no, cried I mean, a lot, you pooped a lot, you ate yeah, a lot. Yeah. yeah. It was, it was, it was kind of a big deal, but yeah. I, I still do those things. <laughs> <laughs> you just added more skills on sense as, as we hope to do as humans. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, I don't know how, let's see. Well, I, I'm an only child. I uh, have very overachiever parents. Uh, I look up to them in a lot of ways, but it was really hard for me to, <clears throat> to live up to their expectations that they say that they don't have, but it was just an unsaid thing for me. Um, <clears throat> so I, I, I still, my core issue is that I'm not, I'm not enough. Oh, and I fight yeah, with that all the, right all the time. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, I fight with it every day. I do some days, you know, I do better than others and some days it's, it's rough. Yeah. But I think that, I mean, look, for the listeners who are like, right. Like I feel this way too. I think everyone is that way. And in my speaking, in my books, I talk about, but how do we fill the hole? Yeah. So I just I mean, segue. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, it, for me, I tried to fill the hole for years with, with drugs and sex and pornography and all the things. Uh-huh. And, and, and the more that I tried to fill it with, with everything I possibly could, uh, the bigger the hole got. Right. Until for me personally, it was, and it was God until I filled that hole with the right thing in the spirit for me, that finally was able to get what I needed. <clears throat> okay, so tell us how, so let's just back up for one second. So people are going through the emotions of this. Um, were your addictions out in the open so that your family was giving you added, this is not what we wanted. How did your family handle it is basically what I'm asking. 
Well, let's just start um, from high school. I was, <clears throat> I was you know, starting to, as a senior, I started to, uh, I started to use a little bit here and there, and I, I never thought I would move into the harder stuff. But after high school, I turned, I tried meth, and I, I was like, this isn't, well, let me back up one, one step further. Um, I tried Oxycontin, and that made me work. It made me really want to work hard. And so- Sign of addiction like, is people yeah. who can take stuff and still operate well. And so they're well, like, oh, I'm good. I can handle this. It's fine. Oh, look, there's this benefit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, honestly, right then it was the solution for me. I found what I needed to make me whole, right? Mm-hmm. And, for, and for the time being, it did great. But the guy I worked with was like, if you think this makes you work, try meth. And I, I tried it and it didn't get me anywhere near as, it wasn't, didn't have as much success as I thought. So I'm like, what the heck? I just kept doing that. And then I became severely addicted. Um, so yes, my addiction was out in the open. <clears throat> my friends saw it. My parents saw it. Yeah. And I kept trying to get off several times. I was incredibly happy that the first time my kids ever had pain medication, you know, prescribed to them, they both had really adverse reactions. And I was like, yes, yes. because the addiction gene runs in my family. And, mm. you know, I've done enough research and looking into it because of my family that addicts, if they don't have a bad reaction, it's like, well, what's the consequence of doing it again? Right. So I'm like, sweet. The addiction gene has hopefully died off. <laughs> and because my kids are like, oh, I hate how that stuff makes me feel. And you know, they get all woozy and they fall down. So I'm like, excellent. I'll know if they're ever using. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So, so I think out in the open with your family because um, it, you were getting such hard stuff. But after what, so, a year of using? And so, I mean, right away, my parents took me to, well, I would say after a year or two of using, my parents took me to rehab. And I, I you know, I, all through all of my 12 rehabs. Wow. Every, yeah. Every time I was there, I was, I was healed, right? I felt better. I was on the right track. This is what I wanted. But I don't think I ever went there on my own recognizance, <clears throat> so to speak. So, so after I left, I just continued right back where I was. Um, so after, until I was about 25, I, I was just, I was living in Richville, the small town. I moved out there to get away from drugs. Oh, good luck. I, yeah. Right off yeah. I-15, that was a bad move. <laughs> yeah. Little, little did I know small towns is that's what you do in small yeah. towns. Right. So I made a lot of friends out there, bad friends really quick. And it, it just, it, it got even worse. <clears throat> and at this time I had already, already lost everything a few times. As far as all my, all my possessions, my parents loaded me up with all my stuff and said, okay, go. And I, I lost it all. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And again, the possessions are just symbolic of the self-respect, the, the, the people, the connections uh, with people. So, I mean, if your parents are like, okay, take your things and go. It's, yeah. That's a, uh, it's pretty, it's pretty hard. So I, honestly, that was the best thing they could have done for me. But it's still hard. It's hard it's for them. Hard. It's hard for you. It yeah. seems really final. I mean, it's just, I've, I've had to see people go through that and it's just, it's heartbreaking for everybody. Yeah. Well, because I think before that they were enabling me. So, I mean, they were loving me to death, mm-hmm. letting me use and use again. And, and so when I finally turned 25, I, I had dated a girl in junior high and we went our own ways. I found drugs. She, she got um, married and had a daughter and they split up. And I don't know what it was, but I'd been sober for four days only because I went to a seminar with my parents. <clears throat> anyway, I, I was like, you know what? I'm going to go see her. I went to her house and we hit it off so fast. I mean, we were engaged in three months. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Lovely. I mean, I can't judge. I was really fast too, but you know, wow. <laughs> yeah. 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 So but she was know like, about your using? she did, but she did not understand addiction. She said now, if she knew, <laughs> if she knew what addiction was, she probably would have went the other way. Well, not to have a spoiler alert. I'm, I'm glad she didn't, yes. but if she were my daughter, I'd be like, sweetie, give him five years to see where he shows up in his life. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. so true. But, but I actually stayed sober off of the hard drugs for about four years because of, I had her and mm-hmm. I wasn't willing to, anyway, I slipped and back into it. Yeah. And I love her. Yeah. I was like, I'm not going to lose her. I'm not going to lose her. But 
when I was still, I, I, again, I didn't fully understand addiction either. So I was still drinking here and there and maybe smoking pot, but I thought that was harmless. But for me, I, I joke like now, if, if I drink one beer later tonight, I'll have, and then this is, I'll have a needle in my arm. Mm-hmm. And that's the I thing mean, about addiction. Any addictive substances trigger the habit. And yeah, so and, and it's a common thing true. people who have been addicts be almost curated when, you know, they get clean because they realize the danger and the, and the slope and so many things can be addictive. Fortunately, my drug of choice is chocolate, but the consequence <laughs> of that is I may never have a totally flat stomach because I need Yes. It. <laughs> well, I'll take, I'll take that one. <laughs> right. But it's still an addiction. Yes, you know, that yes. when I feel a little stressed, I'm like, I go and grab some chocolate and some peanut butter. It's still an addiction and there are consequences to that. And so that makes me like, you know, again, I know that addiction in my family and realizing they're all on a spectrum and we all have something. It's just, they can so easily lead to each other. It's, it's so true. It's very strong in, in my family as well. And <clears throat> I didn't realize all of this until, until later. Yeah. And, and so I still, I'm still an addict. I, well, I like to, I, conscious, subconsciously, I, I don't like to say that I'm an addict. I'm a recovered addict. I like that better because um, I do love the humility that, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous and you know, these kinds of things teach. But I also believe that how we talk to ourselves has a huge impact. And I am is a very powerful phrase that I could spend an hour talking about how important that is, you know, but referring to yourself in such a demeaning way, there's a humility, but also a self-deprecation that can be dangerous in my opinion. I, to- I totally agree. And that's why I've tried to, uh, that's why I've made it a point to always say I'm a recovered addict. Yeah. And that's it, it celebrating, but also maintaining awareness. Yes. You know, like yeah. I'm aware there's addiction in my family. So I'm like, I'm aware of that. So when I was handed my pills for my hysterectomy, I handed them to my husband and I've never had an abuse problem with it, but I know it's there. So I act like I've had a problem with it. Just be aware. Exactly. I, not that I, I, I still have using thoughts from time to time. They're not as severe. They don't last as long. However, I have to, I have to remind myself I'm not out of the woods yet. There's a guy that would always say I'm sober 50 years guys, but I'm not out of the woods yet. It's one decision away to ruining my life. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I do love the, you know, there, I think sometimes people think humility, especially how it's portrayed in religious literature outside of the actual Bible, but it's like, you're always beating up on yourself right? You know, yep. that the, they're, they're full of shame and they have to, you know, love God kind of thing. And um, it's such a fine line of how it's depicted to people's understanding of how it's implemented, where it's really a love of self and holding yourself closer to yeah. you know, enlightenment or divinity or whatever it is, instead of a removal. I, I totally agree. And so, so the last, I call it, you know, my last debacle, I had been um, married for maybe 10 years. Okay. So and- you were, you were clean for four. And then six yep. years you were dabbling or did you go deep into it or? I mean, I started to dabble and then it just started getting worse and worse till my wife said, I'm done. I mean, in a really loud way. And so, <laughs> and so she kicked me out and I thought I was a big boy and I moved up to the big city and well, Salt Lake, because we were down from Utah County. And that's where there was a lot of, I mean, I was a little fish in a big pond. I, I was hanging out with some, you know, parolees, not, nothing against them, but these guys knew they were they were out and they said it was like Disneyland and they were just going as hard as they could until they went back. Oh, wow. That's interesting. So yeah. I'm right. I'm right along with these guys and they're one guy pistol whipped me <clears throat> and took all my money. Oh, that was a, that was a, so this yeah, is a friend you're money. hanging out with who just pistol whipped you one day and steals your money so he can go play in Disneyland. Exactly. Yeah. He stole. Yep. And so the, the last, last part of that, I made some stupid decisions. I, I can't believe this happened. If you want me to tell you exactly what happened, it's um, we're all let's, here. Let's, yeah. let's go. Okay. Okay. So, so after he pistol whipped me, he chased me down. He slashed my tire in my car that I just, I just forged a bunch of checks and got a lot of money. 
And anyway, I bought new tires and rims on my car. That's, there's a point to the story. He slashed my tire. And so I took my car to the tire shop the next morning. But while we were there, I had stolen some keys to another car. It was just a mess. And, and yeah, that yeah. night, that night, the kid I was with went back and stole the car. So they called the cops. The cops came, they arrested me. <clears throat> I was in the back of the car. And by the grace of God, he allowed that back window to roll down. So I jumped out of the cop car while they were searching my car, handcuffed on state street running. <clears throat> I got taken down by gunpoint. Oh, wow. And, and I, and I saved grace of God because they would have, they would have thrown me in jail for a couple of days and let me go. But because, and, oh, cause you escalated it. It forced. Okay. Okay. Cause I'm like, I don't know where Jared's going with it. It's really good. He got to run away from the police, but I got it. You're saying that because you escalated it, the consequences became fiercer. Yeah. Fleeing and evading, uh, uh, evading police is a first degree felony. And you needed consequences to Yeah, Were you high when you rolled out of that car? And so high. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, at that point, I remember they threw me into the cop car and I remember looking up and just saying, God, I give up. I remember it clear as day. Ooh. <sighs> and, and from then on, <clears throat> I knew I had surrendered to him and, and everything changed. So let's pause for a second. Did you believe in God this whole entire time? Or was that yes. your first real like coming to God? I believed in God but I don't know how much I believed him. Mm, isn't that a distinction, right? Yeah, yeah. And I've been shown um, through growing up some, some really, I had a really amazing, amazing vision. And <clears throat> again, I was given this vision to share to others. It was very impactful for me. I had, I had just relapsed and I was sitting there and I was just like, God, I am so sorry. I, I don't deserve your forgiveness, but I want you to know I'm sorry. And, and he showed me a vision of my son playing soccer. I don't know why, but he said, Jared, what could your son do right now that you wouldn't forgive him for immediately? and I just felt the the forgiveness like pour over me and I knew I knew I was and, <clears throat> and the last part he said to me was like and in my infinite love how could I not forgive you so much more and I felt the spirit stronger than I've ever felt okay so you've been in the back of the cop car you do your your first real prayer to God I give up when did that happen because I presume you went to jail and you were dealing with a lot of consequences of <laughs> running away from the police like <laughs> like a gangster movie, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And so were you in jail when this moment came where you realized God's forgiveness capacity? So, so oddly enough, this had happened quite a few, like a year before this. And, mm. you know, I thought that was enough that that would keep me sober. And for a, a while it did, but how quickly do we forget? Yeah. Yeah, we do. We, but, uh, our pride gets in the way. Sure we don't want to admit we were wrong. We want to think we're strong enough. Yeah. But, but I had this very strong testimony that I was given through that of, forgiveness from him i know he knows me and he loves me if he if exactly what he said if i wouldn't forgive my child for something i mean come on it, it doesn't matter what my children would do but i love how in scripture it's like how often i have this one day i went on a, uh, a wild hair of how many times god says wouldn't i be like a, a chick that would you know would gather her hen you know i mean her a hen that would gather her chicks under my wings how often would i do that and it's like 10 15 times that it's mentioned and, um, you know, a mother may forget her child, but I will not forget thee. And of course he's using the strongest parallel that our hormones as women, literally we feel anxious when we're away from our kids, yeah. you know, and he's God saying human capacity and my capacity so much greater. And I love that kind of imagery of it's instinctual, how God will come to us. Yeah. I, and, and for me, I always was like, um, I thought my rock bottom was death. I, I didn't know how to find my rock bottom, but that day. I, I found out that rock bottom is a decision. Okay. So let decision. me make sure I understand that. So were you kind of looking for death through your addiction? Well, I, yes, to, to some extent, like I was too chicken to take my life, 
but after my wife and I kicked me out and I thought I'd never see my family again, I wanted to die. I was how many living to die too. Yeah. So I was living to die at that time. I was doing whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted <clears throat> until I either went to, yeah. <sighs> Thanks for all that. No, Thank I, you. I appreciate you sharing it because, um, how do we learn empathy and understanding when we haven't had the same exact experience? And I'm sure there are people who it may not be drugs that took them to this point, but yeah. they're, they're looking, they're looking, they're living to die. Yeah. They're living to just have it be over. And we have to find a way out of that place. And if we don't have any hope that other people have gotten through it, how do we do it? Right. And exactly. You know, what was amazing to me after I had turned my back on God, sorry, this is all God, but for me, he is, this is your story. And I mean, I like, I like God, but this is your story. <laughs> and you don't have to pick any other words to share. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, like you and I are both Christian, but we're of different, um, you know, de denominations, but I have friends from all different religious denominations and friends without a faith. And we can have respect for each other's differences and put it into, you know, the Jewish person listening can put it into, you know, Jehovah, the Muslim person living, li listening can put it into, you know, Allah, we can translate this experience of this touch with the divine to the wording that we need, but these yeah. stories are important to be shared and you shouldn't have to curb your language because that's really curbing the truth of your story. And to be honest, now that I'm thinking about it, 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 I hate that I have to, I feel like I have to make an excuse. Like I'm saying, I'm sorry, because it offends people. Some people it does. Um, yeah. I, I have had people push back to me a lot on my social media being like, Hey, people aren't into that. I just got that the other day. And I'm like, it's my wall. Yeah. You know, and we're allowed to, admit, you know, God bless America. We're allowed to have a difference of opinion and until it is outlawed and I have to go underground like Daniel and only pray and you throw me the lines, then I am willing to die on this hill. Yeah. And I just assume everyone else's beliefs or ideology that they're willing to die on that too. I can't lie about the fact that I believe mine's worth dying for, you know, but we all yeah. believe what we believe strongly and we shouldn't have to apologize for having a difference of opinion. And we should, totally you know, as Roman said, be ashamed. I guess I'm just nervous of hurting people's feelings, but I shouldn't be, I should, I, I'm definitely proud of how I've gotten where I've gotten. Well, I think maybe let's, let's explore that for a minute. Talking to Jared who believed in God, but didn't believe God. Would this conversation have offended you then? No, because I had grown up LDS. I'd always had this spiritual foundation. And LDS meaning the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which happens to be the faith that I'm in, but you're not in that faith now. You have a different faith. I mean, I'm Christian. I, well, that's a whole nother story. <laughs> you know, it's your story. You get a share. Yeah. You know? But I'm just, for those who are not familiar with the terminology LDS, I wanted to clarify that. And also yeah. we have to show that I'm okay with you not being in that faith. What's important is that you found healing. Well, to be honest, I have been married in the LDS temple and, and I felt the spirit strongly, but. I have no, I, when I made that personal connection, when I spent eight months in jail, reading the Bible and the scriptures, I felt him so much strong, stronger. And it was because I was ready. I had come to him with a broken spirit and asked for his forgiveness. Yeah. Right. Yes. Thank you. Contract spirit. Yeah. Um, I'm just quoting the Bible, but yes. uh, here's the thing. I believe that God comes to us where we are. And I think we get really wrapped up. Obviously I believe my church is the most true and you believe the church you go to is the most true, but doesn't God need people who are good Hindus and good Muslims too? And people who don't have faith, that is their experience. And whatever their soul is, they're having to learn that thing. And it's not our place to say, this is the only way, even if we believe, you know, Jesus Christ is the only way it's our job to be a light and to proselytize our belief, just like those will proselytize. Um, you know, I've had people try to convince me to have an open marriage, you know, and that's their belief, you know? Yeah. And when they push over the line to trying to shame me into not having an open marriage, I'm like, look, I know I'm irresistible, but no, not doing it. <laughs> Yes. And a plumbing joke. You remember when the shower got done, everyone, um, I think Brian, who's the contractor, you know, the main contractor on it, he said, all your neighbors are going to come over here and shower. And I said, whoa, I don't know what you've heard, but I'm, we don't go that way. 
<laughs> I was like, I don't know. I don't know what you've heard. I mean, that's not what hotness stands for, but I mean, it, I think there's a huge self-awareness in realizing that we, that whatever it is we believe, we proselytize that belief and we shouldn't have to apologize for that, but we shouldn't ever shame people for not believing as we do. I and that's totally a hard agree. line. That's a hard line to walk. So going back to Jared, who is not believing in God, but I mean, believes God, but doesn't believe him. Um, and you said that this wouldn't, this conversation wouldn't have offended him, you know, that Jared. And it wasn't until you got to this place where you just said, I'm done fighting. Yeah. What, what's your, so what's your yeah, I just, I'm just thinking, cause you're apologizing about how do we, how do we have that conversation? Why are we feeling like we're apologetic? I guess, I don't know, maybe we're hitting a dead horse here, but I just, I feel like it's your story. And this is, I've never been in the back of a cop car, but I've had other moments where I'm like, I'm done. Yeah. I mean, like I said, that was a turning point for me. They actually, when I was in court, they said I could leave on court probation. And I said, nope, nope. I have to, I have to go through, they have a program, a rehab, a rehabilitation program. And so I could have stayed two weeks, but that decision, I stayed eight months and it was not, the, not the most, not the funnest eight months of my life, but the best eight months of my life for me wow. to learn who Jared is. Yeah. Which, and so, you know, there's always that big debate about incarceration and you know what we're doing and and i don't think prison should be a picnic but i think we should put all the resources we can into programs like that into rehab into you know getting people you know a high school degree and i know people always get upset you know they can get a college degree in prison i'm like it's called self-improvement yeah you know i'm like do we want people to be so shamed and broken that all we did was teach them the inhumanity of man or do we want them to have a chance to get better and so i'm like i'm putting my vote in for all the funding for programs like what you went through and I, I think if, you know, I saw a lot of guys in there that they were just waiting to get out and go out and do it again. Mm-hmm. But, but I saw some guys in there that were, they didn't want to come back. So I, I tried to go to every class, every, it didn't matter what kind of church it was. I was going to that to, to learn. And I read scriptures with all my cellmates, even if they didn't, and we would pray together. And mm-hmm. some of them thought I was weird and I didn't care. I was just trying to, while I was in there, I journaled every day. And that was amazing. Do you still it have journals? I do. Pages and pages. Yeah. Precious. And I would write about like some things and and when you're thinking about it and writing about it, I would see like where God's hand was in my life during those dark moments. Wow. He helped me see that. That's your personal scripture right there. Seeing God's hand work in your life. It it was, it was incredible. Um, So journaling for me was huge. Um, That's where I, I came to a point where I, I wanted to write what my purpose is here on this earth. And for me, it was, it's to, to serve others and inspire. Love it. I love it. That's amazing. And that's why you've chosen to be on here. I mean, this is pretty, pretty vulnerable stuff. Um, and not everybody has the opportunity to look into the heart of someone else at this kind of, you know, taboo kinds of subjects, you know, they need to, we need to have these conversations. That's the whole reason this podcast exists is, you know, to connect with other people and to learn from experiences that may not be your own. So I really appreciate that. So let's um, just a couple of things. So when you were going through addiction for this 10 years, um, as a married man, how are you supporting your family? How are you supporting your habit? You said you'd forged some checks. I mean, how are you sustaining it? So um, I wasn't okay. Uh, I've always been a plumber. So I was okay at hiding it for a while till it got really bad. So I'd get a job and plumbers make decent. Well, honestly, let's, let's not say I, I, I did okay at going up and down, up and down, but my wife, my wife is my rock. Oh, okay. Everyone is not seeing Jared's eyes right now. <laughs> I just, oh, I love it. <laughs> It's just this emotion of fusing out of your eyes when you talk about your wife that's making me cry. She always, she always held me down and she always held a job and well, raising still, kids. Yep. And, and again, when, after I left this last time, we had to sell our, our home that we had worked so hard for. Cause I would have some moments of sobriety and I was making good enough money where we bought a new beautiful home and, and we lost all that. And that was, that was a whole nother, that was a whole nother lesson that look, I can lose everything 
And as long as I have my family, none mm-hmm. of that matters. Yeah, yeah. It, it's just stuff. I think we're fortunate that, um, so if we can go into, we're talking about your wife. Why do you think she stuck with you? What was her side of the story that you know? I mean, she would see, I would have to say, if I was to say for her, I'd hope she'd say at least, <laughs> I think she would say that she would saw something in me. She honestly loved me. She loved me when I couldn't love myself. And she saw that I could be the man that I am today. Oh, oh! there's a quote that I love that by the German philosopher, um, Gioth, or Gioth or something, but it says, treat a man as he is and he'll remain so, but treat a man as he can become and he will strive to become it. And of course that applies for women too, you know, but when yep. we look upon people as broken, as victims, as less than, what incentive do they have? Right. You know, why it's so insidious when we, you know, refer to someone as, nothing more than their addiction or their color or what, or, you know, their sex or whatever, whenever we demean somebody with a title that we mean tasting it in our mouth is something bad that that is worse than any poopy word because we've we're bit by bit trying to steal hope from them. Yeah. You know, which is why I love that word should ever be said by anyone. If I, if I were queen of the world, because it's a word <laughs> that comes from hate, you know, yeah. and when you reinforce that word within the culture, I feel like I'm not seeing it bring forth any good fruit as it were. Right. Right. You know, the word has not been reclaimed. My producers always try to tell me that I can say the, the, um, <laughs> uh, that I can say queer. And I don't like it because I remember hearing it in such a hateful way, you know, yeah. but like we're reclaiming the word and I'm like, oh, okay, but it still feels like, <laughs> you know, me, you know, um, yeah. you know, but um, you know, it's, it's a, uh, you know, the, you know, I am that I am as God labels us, right. The power of words. So words are very powerful. Yeah. I've had to change the way I think about myself and definitely talk to myself. Amen. Amen. Yeah. So, um, back to that time where I think that why I struggled when I know that God forgave me, the hard part was I never forgave myself. Mm. Oh, Jared, truth bomb right there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so, as simple as compliments that we are given that we can't accept, right? Gifts that we don't feel worthy of the yeah. ultimate gift of forgiveness. If we don't feel worthy of it, we don't open the back package. Yeah. Wow. I, so that was a big thing for me. I think that's why I went back to it is because I didn't feel worthy of his forgiveness and mm-hmm. And so that was a struggle for a long time until I just had to like, I started by looking in the mirror and saying, I like you. And now I look in the mirror and say, I love you, you know? Amen, brother. Yeah. I mean, this is, you're, you're preaching the content of my first book. So thank you for that <laughs> subtle yeah. plug. Pick up your copy of How to Embrace Your Hotness, right? But this, this, is a, this is a principle that um, cannot be shaken, right? I mean, we could, there's so much written and known about the power of how we think about ourselves. And there's that line between being egocentric is when we think we're better than others. Yeah. You know, shame, but loving yourself, being kind to yourself is really seeing your innate value that cannot be taken. I, I totally agree. And a lot of long time, I, I couldn't tell myself I love myself. So I am enough was mm-hmm. what I had to tell myself. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Okay. So how long have you been clean, Jared? Um, four and a half years. Four and a half years. Now I have known you for um, congratulations on Thank making you. it through the pandemic as a recovering addict because a lot of people, um, a lot of people lost their battle with addiction and with um, mental illness because of the isolation that does. And it's, I was made a lot more aware about how t- um, terrible that was for addiction addicts and, and recovering addicts, you know, with all of that. So yay for that. Right. So yes, thank you. I've known you for about two years, two and a half years, and I you were working so, yeah. for someone else as a plumber. Um, yep. But you went out on your own and knowing this background, cause I didn't know all of this then I just thought you were awesome with your Led Zeppelin beard, which just makes <laughs> me love you. So, you know, um, I love people who are willing to be who they are. I love that. You know, I just, and when, you know, you see tattoos on people, I'm like, there's a story and people are typically pretty willing to share that story. And so I, I really 
enjoy that vulnerability, I guess, you know, even though I personally don't have any tattoos because I'd want to change it every day. Like my lipstick, you know, Lena, your, tatter, your tattoos are all over. They, they flow from you. <laughs> First, I thought you were talking about my little lipstick marks that I always have on my hands, but thank you for that compliment. Yes. Um, yes. I'm, I'm not normal. I, I can definitely, um, whatever normal is, but, um, you knowing the background that you also were, I guess about two years out from being clean and building trust in yourself as an individual and rebuilding your marriage, which I'd love to hear a little bit about if that you feel comfortable sharing. You also rebuilt your career and then decide to go out on your own. That's a lot of personal trust in such a short amount of time. And I think that deserves like a round of applause. So everyone clap. you know, that's, you know, um, that's amazing because that's a lot that you put on yourself in four and a half years. And it's almost like, uh, do you mind me asking how old you are, Jared? 39 this month. So if you just met someone who was 39 years old, has two kids, um, has employees, runs a business, you'd be like, wow, that guy has been busy making his life this awesome. And yet behind all of that, there was time that was lost, but in a way it wasn't lost. Right. I mean, totally. I, I would never have the drive and the passion if, if I wasn't, if I didn't know what it was like to live on the streets and do whatever I had to do to get my next fix. But now I've turned that into, I'll do whatever I have to do, not, you know, so to speak, to get that next, next, next job or just keep busting my butt and learning how to, it taught me a lot. So yeah. And I, I had the joy of talking to um, Alex. Alex is his name, right? Did I just forget? Yes. His name? Okay. God, I remember correctly. And how much this young man that works for you, how much he looks up to you and respects you and sees you as a mentor. And he went on and on <laughs> about um, how honest and how he has seen you be in situations where you could have taken the lower road and didn't. And he didn't say a word about that. You, you know, you're recovering addict. He didn't say anything about that, but just effusive of his respect and admiration and gratitude to have a mentor like you. And I, I'm glad I get to spread that good gossip to you. Oh, thank you. That, that's so rewarding. <laughs> yeah. Well, you've done the work, you know, in all the ways. And there's our professional life, you know, our, our social life, our intimate life, you know, with our, our spouse and our children and, you know, the professional, all of that. And you have been through hell and you are one of those that comes, that's come out on the other side with the love of your life with you. So let's talk a little bit about um, where, you know, where are your kids now? How, what was that process of rebuilding? It sounds like your wife gets the principle of forgiveness and in, in a way that we all could take a lesson from. Yeah. So uh, with my, it was a long, it took a long time for my wife to, to trust. Yeah. And well, I think there's trust are two different things. Let's be clear. Right. So that's, you can love someone with everything you've got, but you may not, they may not deserve the trust. I mean, honestly, we had to work through a lot of counseling for her to, we did some ketamine treatments and for her to, I think, learn. And it's taken a long time for her to forgive me. I don't know if she had a defining moment. Um, I would have that's to ask her that. That's the story. That, that'll be a yeah. fun, fun conversation. Yeah. Our listeners don't have to have the, the catch up because everybody can write that in the way they want. <laughs> but um, how many, I mean, you were talking about these guys that are in the prison or, or I should say gals too. I don't want to make it sound like only guys have this, but you were just in a male side of the prison. How many do you think of them come out better for their time? Um, I mean, honestly, I can't, I'd be lying if I told you that I knew the answer to that, but in my opinion, mm-hmm. I would say very few. I mean, because I had been to jail before that. And you would see the same people come in and out, in and out, in and out. I guess my thoughts on this, why I kind of wanted to hit it, um, is, you know, the worth of one soul is that if we, if we spent a million dollars for rehab for, you know, a hundred people and two made it out, isn't that a really good use of a million dollars? Yeah. You know, I I think so. I think so. (laughs) I I would say you can't, you can lead the horse to the water, but you can't make them drink. Right. But you can salt the hay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying like, right. You can't force parents... people, but if you don't, if you don't give those that, um, almost every addict I, I have known, there is some kind of either childhood trauma or internal trauma or 
you know, trauma that comes from the addiction and just throwing that the key away is not the way to do this, right? That, you know, we as humans, I think when we stand before God, we're going to be judged for how we use the influence we have. And I think it's really easy to demonize people, but for every, you know, 100, 200, there's a Jared in there that will take it and that's worth it. And not every high school graduate goes on to be a doctor, but what we still believe in high school, right? We still believe in education because around the world, throughout history, the best way to have the best outcomes are to give people education. Yeah. See, so, so I think like from my personal experience, my parents took me to several rehabs, but until I was ready, nothing was going to change. So how do we get people? I mean, if we, if somebody's listening who has an addict in their life, um, frankly, I have, I have one recovering addict and I have one that is angry that I will not fund addiction things and I'll be vague, you know, how, how is those that people that we love, how, how can we nudge or encourage what, what is our role? You know, if we have someone that's in the grips of addiction, whatever that addiction is other than chocolate, cause don't mess with my chocolate. Um, <laughs> how do we nudge that? How do we do that? What, what would be your advice? Well, I can speak. I think it's different for everyone. Cause I see a lot of people that, you know, they didn't have to go definitely as hard or as deep as, as I went and they decide, you know what, this sucks. I don't want to do this. And so they make that decision. Um, but for me, until I went out and my family stopped enabling me and I hit my rock bottom, I had to hit my rock bottom for me personally. Right. So in other words, we need to do some research about enabling. Yeah. And I can't say that for anyone. Cause uh, you know, we've, we've heard of people like, look, you, you can't enable them and you got to kick them out and then they go out and die or, you know, they uh, overdose. And then that, that person will blame you for, for the rest of your life. But however, like they were, uh, it's hard it's to say. So, it's so hard because we're talking literally about life and death. Yeah. And um, locally here in Utah, you know, there was that bill about um, transgender youth, you know, being able to compete athletically. And our governor, who is a conservative religious governor, said, you know what, I'm not going to do this because I'm more concerned about suicide. Yeah. And I've had some conversations with people who are like, I can't believe that. And I'm like, but let's look at it. Look, look what he said. And what, what's really our role in society? Is it to legislate how people think? Or is it to try to create the most open opportunities to avoid losing people? Right? What's the role picture. of government? Right? Like, you know, yeah. where's that line of compassion and regulation? And really don't think we should get into regulating everything. I think, you know, this is something that society and sports will have to work out, not our government to put its nose in because, yeah. you know, when are they going to legislate? We can't love Jesus. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. I, I'm going to, I'm going to be rebellious. You're going to be right there with me. Right, Jared. Of course. <laughs> you know, so yeah. it'll be, I'll be, I'll be next to all my, my cool, tough, tough guys. Right. <laughs> you know, because that'll be like the safest place to be. Cause you guys will know how to throw a punch and protect me. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so when people are afraid of like tough looking guys, I'm like, you do realize they will like, literally there's like in truck stops, there was a code to protect women, you know? And now women who yeah. want to sleep with you, that was totally different. You know, you can sleep with them, people harder. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> you know, I but, code. yeah. Um, I grew up in that world. I mean, there's always bad actors everywhere, but they can wear suits too. Right. Yeah, but yeah. there's just kind of this code that you keep an eye out for children and, and women and keep a protective eye over them. And I always find it funny when people are like, Oh, you know, there's a truck stop with a bunch of truckers. And I'm like, probably safer there than the mall. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, more abductions I mean, and grooming. And I know from a, a guy who runs a pedophilic um, pornography ring that, that they literally go and um, not, I don't know him personally, but, you know, heard this said about him that they really recruit for malls and social media. So, you know, um, maybe we just not judge people as much, right? Another takeaway for today. Yeah, it was, a, it was a, a big decision for me to get some tattoos because me being in the service industry, I always was like, what are people going to think? And I think tattoos I, are a lot more... Um, accepted and none of your tattoos are like you know a naked woman you know being right. or something you know they're just i we don't do know we, we do live in utah so well okay i'm sorry i forgot i forgot i've lived all over so i i just think they're not as big a deal but um you know your, your kindness and who you are and your 
I happily, readily recommend you often. Um, and knowing this background of you, and I will never forget you standing in my bathroom and just, I can't even remember the words you said, but just the look of how you were like, I love God. I'm so thankful that I have been able to fight back these demons of addiction. And it was just this beautiful moment. And you were just like working on plumbing. And I was like, I love Jared. <laughs> <laughs> so I already trusted you, but I love that vulnerability. And I think that that's a great takeaway for those listening that we all have our inner demons and there's no reason to keep, to fight that battle alone by hiding them. Yeah. Talk to people. I totally, I totally agree. And and how I would never be where I'm at without him. So I always try to give the glory to him. Thank you for getting me where I'm at because I am a business owner now. I, and all I'm doing is listening. All I'm doing is listening. He's telling oh. me what to do. Thank you. Um, I too love Jesus and credit him with everything good in my life. And, and, uh, you know, we got to be more like Jesus and love others and never, Jesus never turned his back. If he came today, like he did back then, he would hang out with the addict, you know, he'd hang out with yep. the homeless. He'd hang out with those in prison, just like he did then. And, you know, we need to find that balance of, you know, safety and not enabling, but loving people and giving them a chance to become better because at the end of the day, we all have our broken bits. I totally agree with you, Lita. Yeah. So Jared, you're amazing. I really appreciate your time and um, your witness and your vulnerability. And I want you to, I want to go hug your wife, just like give her a big hug for you guys making it through something that not everybody does. And I hope it gives some other people some hope and to find that, find that line for them. So, well, thank you for letting me come on here today. I have been praying for the, I always pray for the opportunity to be able to share what I've been through to, to hopefully help those persons that are people that are struggling. Well, be careful what you pray for. Cause I might just refer you to some more people. So <laughs> <laughs> do it. I dare you. Okay. <laughs> so, um, thank you so much, my friend, Jared, for being on this episode of share your hotness. The share your hotness podcast is produced by Van Garrett media. Lita green is the host and creator of the podcast. Chris Van Garrett is the editor, producer, and music director. Shayla Dawn is our research coordinator. Join us next week for another episode of the share your hotness podcast. Thanks for listening. This podcast produced by Van Garrett media.